I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Hello, today in the RHS Gardening Podcast, we're celebrating the season of mists and mellow fruitfulness as our thoughts turn to autumn. We'll be visiting RHS Garden Wisley to hear how the extreme weather of 2018 has affected this year's harvest of fruit and vegetables. Plus, our expert advice team tackles a bumper crop of your seasonal gardening questions. I'm Fiona Davison. I'm the Head of Exhibitions and Libraries at the RHS. Our collections are crammed with lovely things to get you excited about the autumn. I think my favourites are the Yokohama nursery catalogues from Japan in the early 1900s, and they're crammed with jewel-coloured aces to get us excited about the colours of autumn. Now, let's talk about one of the perennial symbols of autumn. The kings, or maybe the crown princes of the harvest, pumpkins and squashes. We went along to the recent RHS Harvest Festival show at the Lindley Hall in London. This year, pumpkins and squashes were undoubtedly the stars of the show, with the winners of the annual giant pumpkin competition dominating the entranceway, along with a huge display of fruits which delighted the visitors. My name's Matthew Oliver, I'm a horticulturist for the RHS from Hyde Hall but I'm here today at the RHS Harvest Show in the Lindley Hall at RHS headquarters. Today at the show, the main draw for me, the giant pumpkin competition, lots going on. Giant pumpkin competition this year has had a fantastic turnout, some really, really big pumpkins here. I'm really impressed with it, it just shows the standard of giant pumpkin growers going up in my view. And so the one I've brought along is one we grew in our new learning garden at Hyde Hall and the one I've got is 264 kilos and we've grown that one from a seed from one of my pumpkins last year but we gave a, we did a seed giveaway with the campaign for school gardening so we had a hundred schools across the country have that seed have a go at growing it themselves and that's why I've grown that one and got it on display here today but if that sounds big, it's really it's been dwarfed by some of the other competition here today. The, uh, the winning pumpkins over 600 kilos, um, that was grown by a fella called Peter Galen up in Nottingham. Second place, a fella called John Paul Beard also up in Nottingham. Got the, the Wisley effort down the front there, which I'm pleased to see is smaller than mine. So keeping healthy competition alive amongst the RHS, uh, Hyde Hall beating Wisley there. There's a uh, 
a pumpkin grown by a school in Dagnum that's here. It's up the back of the show where we've got a display for the campaign for school gardening. The results of that pumpkin competition was we did it more virtual. We estimate the weight by measuring them and the winning school was uh, up in Chesterfield with an effort that was, I think it was about 120 kilos, something like that. So very good for a primary school. So growing squashes and pumpkins to eat, always go for a squash, a saying amongst chefs that uh, pumpkins are round and orange and squashes taste nice. So we go for a winter squash. Then the good ones to eat, we've probably got some good ones um, on the display that have been brought along, grown by the trials team at Wisley. But classic good eating squashes that are grown in this country, a crown prince is popular slaty blue coloured one with a bright orange flesh that's considered one of the best then any of the onion shaped ones ones like a potty maron anything with a french name is generally a good makes a good eating squash i like one that grow covered in these corky warts it looks disgusting but tastes fantastic old french variety called galou dessin really warty warty pumpkin the waltier they are, the riper they are, and therefore the sweeter they are. So they're ones to look out for. And then another favourite of mine is a small one, dark green coloured, called Black Futsu. It has a really nice nutty flavour to it, but all of them taste good. Hi, my name's Alex Henke. I'm the trials team leader based at RHS Wisley, and we're here today at the London Harvest Festival show. All sorts of vegetables on display, from apples to chilies. We've got ginormous pumpkins. We also have apples for sale, grown at Wisley. And we've got our marvellous pumpkin display that are also from Wisley. We've got a mixture of uh, chilies that are grown in uh, terracotta pots, and that's interspersed with some really large pumpkins, as well as winter squash, and also some baskets of apples and pears as well. So we have, there's two distinct differences. We have a, a summer squash and a winter squash. The summer squash grow very, very similarly to a, a courgette. Um, they produce fruits throughout the summer. They stay more as a bush, so they're quite compact, so they don't need too much space. A lot of people will have experienced the trouble of them trailing across the whole garden. So these are really good to grow in this uh, sort of tight space. Pumpkins are generally very, 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 very easy to grow if you give them a lot of water throughout the summer months. You plant them out after all risk of frost. And you also have a very, very fertile soil. So nicely enriched soil or compost to add to the planting area. So on, on the display, we have a really famous variety of French variety of pumpkin, which is called Rouge Vif de Tomps. It's believed that the pumpkin was used to shape Cinderella's chariot. And there's also a really bumpy, gnarly shaped one as well called Goosebumps. The best pumpkin or squash for, for taste is got to be the Crown Prince. So it's really, really distinct with this silvery blue, greeny almost flesh, outer skin, and the flesh is bright orange inside. And this is prized for its use in soups and as well as pies as well. So pumpkins will usually, they'll ripen throughout the summer months. They'll mostly start off green. They'll develop their shape. Um, and they'll slowly start to change to their, if we're talking of a normal orange pumpkin, they'll start to show a paler orange interspersed with green as the flesh begins to ripen. You can pick them at this stage um, and they will ripen off the plant. You can harvest them with a little bit of stem still attached and they'll ripen in a cool room, but you can let them ripen on the plant um, and eventually they'll turn completely orange. 
on parts of the pumpkin you will get a, a part of the fruit that doesn't get exposed to the sun it's been resting on the ground so this part will never truly ripen if it's left to stay on the ground so you can harvest the pumpkin and almost turn the pumpkin over so that it will ripen in the sun in a nice conservatory or something like this or a greenhouse mice and rats would be two very very common sort of hosts at the dinner party if they want to eat your pumpkins even if you live in the rural parts of the country you'll get rabbit damage as well they might uh, nibble on some of the pumpkins but more commonly in terms of pathogen diseases you'd have mildew affecting the leaves it does commonly affect squashes towards the end of the summer they're kind of giving up the ghost in terms of growing and the leaves are very susceptible to mildew so sometimes it's best practice just to cut these leaves off and allow all the energy to be pumped into the pumpkin for developing. If you'd like to hear more about the RHS campaign for school gardening and the impact horticulture can have on children, families and education, why not check out our new Shoots podcast special? Recorded at this year's awards for Young School Gardener of the Year, we speak to those whose lives have been transformed through horticulture. Now, as well as the glorious autumn colours of the trees and plants, there are plenty of RHS events and activities for garden lovers to enjoy in the next few weeks. Bring the outdoors in at the RHS Urban Garden Show at the Lindley Hall in London on October the 27th to 28th. It's the perfect place to browse and buy an exotic assortment of plants for city homes, and you can listen to talks from gardening experts, including Anne Swithenbank and Alice Fowler. Meanwhile at Wisley, there's a conifer show on on the 21st of October, where you can discover conifers for every size and aspect of garden. You can get expert advice from Conifer Society members, who'll be on hand to answer questions about this useful and very ancient group of plants. For links to full listings of RHS events across the country, visit rhs.org.uk forward slash podcast. The extreme weather conditions of 2018 have taken their toll on gardens across the UK. Some crops have been worse hit than others. We visited the fruit and vegetable teams at RHS Garden Wisley to hear how their harvests have been this year. Hello, I'm Bernard Boardman and I work for the Edibles team here at Wisley. I'm sitting here in our fruit garden and we're surrounded by figs in pots and cosmos to attract the pollinators and I'm looking at pears that are almost ready to be picked but just not quite yet. This has been a really tricky year and I'm absolutely certain that up and down the country there isn't anybody who hasn't had a bit of a problem. We've had a very cold winter followed by a very hot summer. We've suffered extremes and everybody up and down the country has suffered wet, dry, hot, cold. So it's been a very challenging year for anybody who wants to grow fruit and veg. I'm sure that everybody's had successes and failures. Our soft fruit was very slow to get going, but then we had some super crops of blueberries. They just seem to keep going. They've absolutely loved it. The apples and pears, the big top fruits, have had a 
challenging time but we've gone from no fruit last year because we got caught by a late frost to a really nice looking crop this year we've lost some early apples because they just fell off the trees in the dryness but we're really beginning to see some nice fruit coming through now and hopefully that will store until we can give it all away at the taste of autumn here in the southeast some of our vegetables struggled our early apples as i said have had a real struggle the, the soft fruit the early raspberries not such a good crop this year and i'm sure that was down to a lack of water and then when we did have fruit setting it was just seemed to shrivel the autumn cropping raspberries however drop of rain bit more growth and off we go they seem to have done very well we've been talking a lot about mulch over the course of the summer because we're trying to preserve moisture in the soil and improve the soil quality we're on a very light sandy soil here and we do want to try and improve its water retention abilities so we're going to do some more experimenting with different types of mulch see which ones work the best for us out in the orchard we've previously been using a lot of straw but the straw puts quite a thick layer down it stops some of the weeds growing but it also stops water getting into the ground so i think we probably won't use as much straw this year but we will try and use more of our own homemade organic mulch if you're just starting out on the roller coaster of fruit and vegetable growing plant things that will give you some fruit early so fruit like raspberries and strawberries that can be grown in grow bags as well as in the ground in pots and tubs blueberries are a terrifically rewarding crop they like acid soil so you might have to consider growing those in a pot i've got four at home if you want to grow apples and pears if you have a look at the september issue of the garden magazine there's a very nice article by a friend of ours jerry edwards he's listed lots of apples there that will suit different regions of the country and as a starting off list there's some lovely lovely flavors there have a look at that for guidance I'm Emily and I work at the vegetable garden at Wisley. For me, 2018 was pretty challenging. It was my first year looking after the vegetable garden at Wisley. And on top of that, we had the really hot, dry spell in summer, which was quite a challenge, keeping up with watering. So, as in all years, some crops will do better and some do worse. The things that did well were things like aubergines. I had quite a few aubergines in pots, which really loved the heat and I put those on a sunny patio, and they've been cropping really well. The dwarf French beans also did really well. They actually did better than the runner beans when it was so hot. I know a lot of visitors have been saying that their runner beans have struggled, and that was because the hot, dry period, it meant that the fruit didn't set very easily. I was growing five different varieties, and they all weren't doing quite so well during the really hot, dry weeks. 
but then just recently as it's cooled down they've definitely picked up and they're they're cropping really well i'd say the varieties that coped best with the heat were um, firestorm and moonlight these two varieties have a french bean parentage which is probably why they coped better things like the soya beans were really good during the dry spell i sowed those direct they're about ready to crop i've had a no dig approach to the veg garden at the beginning of the year i put a good layer of well-rotted manure on the surface and then lightly forked that in and doing that every year definitely helps to improve the soil and it definitely gave a lot of crops a good start i'd say probably the crops that i sowed direct have done well because i suppose they get their roots down straight away and then they tend to be a bit more self-sufficient perhaps than crops that you transplant things like the beetroot and actually the carrots have done really well Slugs has been something that people have struggled with perhaps early on in the year. When we see them, we definitely remove, remove slugs. We also try and water in the morning because then it's more likely that the soil will have dried out a bit by evening time when the slugs come out in the dark. Um, and also planting things out, if you can, a reasonable size, something like a lettuce. If it's a reasonable size when it goes in, it's got more of a chance of surviving if it gets nibbled slightly. And finally, what thorny problems have gardeners been asking our advice team this month? Let's hear some of your questions. Hello, I'm Lee Hunt, the Principal Horticulture Advisor here at Wisley, and today I'm joined by my colleagues Jenny Bowden and Rebecca Mealy. Hello. Hi. William Smith wrote in by email saying, Virginia Creeper. How can I best remove it from my garden? I think it may have origination points in my neighbour's plot as well as mine, and it always seems to come back despite my attempts to get rid of it and replace it with a more interesting climber. Suggestions welcome. I think the first most important thing he says is the origination point, perhaps in the neighbour's plot. When we've got a plant we don't like, we can cut back to the boundary, but we can't obviously go and eradicate it in the neighbour's garden without trespassing. So the first thing is to knock on the door, use your goodwill with your neighbour and say, well, do you want this? Oh, yes, probably it's a bit vigorous, isn't it? And then decide on a course of action where perhaps together you tackle and get rid of it. Obviously, the ideal thing would be to at least cut it back to the boundary and then keep it cut back annually to make sure that it doesn't keep encroaching, which is quite potentially a big job. But if you can go back further into the neighbour's garden, obviously potentially you can get to the root of the issue and cut it off at that point. It could then be dug out. Additionally, you can use things like a stump killer to kill that to the root as well. So several possibilities here. I think it just depends on the willingness to work with your neighbour. Tracy Corshaw from Liverpool has emailed in about garlic varieties. This year I've tried and failed to grow garlic. In fact, I planted the whole bulb and got only spindly leaves and one clove. What might I be doing wrong? I always use raised beds and a mixture of commercially available compost and topsoil. Can you suggest any easy to grow varieties for next year? As a general guideline, you get your garlic bulb, which you buy from a commercial source, not the supermarket, because they can have pesticides applied to them. And they also come from parts of the world sometimes that have a rather different climate to the one that we're growing in. So buy them from the garden centre. And you break up the bulbs so that you've got individual cloves. 
and you plant them about six inches apart, that's 15 centimetres apart, with the tips one inch below the soil. Your medium that you're actually planting in sounds absolutely fine. And then you make sure that they're well watered throughout. You, you can plant some varieties of garlic are planted in the autumn and they need that cold spell to get them all started. And there are some varieties that you can plant in, in March and they should still get enough cold again to get them started. The important thing is to water really well between March and June because that's the kind of environment that they would have in their country where they originally come from. Then after that point, they're starting to ripen. And so you don't want them to get waterlogged. You don't want to overwater them. Shouldn't be too complicated. And when you do get your crop, you wait usually until they've fallen over, till the leaves have kind of fallen over. They've bent at the knees. And then you dry them off in a greenhouse or somewhere nice and dry. Take off the loosest uh, outer parts. And you can keep them at room temperature. Don't be tempted to put them into a refrigerator or anything like that. Just room temperature and use as needed. George Turnbull has emailed in and he had two courgette plants this year. One stripy green Italian one and one yellow. The yellow one got devoured by slugs and the green one produced lots and lots of flowers. But only one fruit. What's going on? Do you need to have more than one plant to get fruit or do you need to hand pollinate? It's all about what type of flower has appeared because courgettes have male and female flowers. And usually early in the season when it's cooler, you tend to get the male flowers. You tend to get a lot of male flowers. And then later when the temperature levels off and is more even, you get the female flowers. So what can happen is the female flowers don't appear. And so for because you haven't got the female flowers, you won't have any crop. It is all about the actual growing season, making sure you water and feed the plant so it's actively growing and healthy. Quite a sheltered area and it's nice and sunny will also help you to have flowers. The difference between the flowers is the female flower has a, a slightly bulbous end at the base of the flower. So that's the ovaries at the base. And then the male flowers, they're skinny at the bottom. So they've got all the anthers. There's always the issue of getting good varieties. And for this, I find that the RHS's Award of Garden Merit is a really good thing to look for on the packets. For example, if you grow those, we make sure that uh, we've tested them and we know that they're going to produce a good crop in average garden conditions. I know, for example, our person who produces the list on the website is just busy updating these right at the moment. So the updated list will be there very shortly. And if you search online for RHS AGM awards, there's lists for fruit and veg as well as all the other plants should you want those. Estelle Walker has contacted us. How do I store best onions and garlics after harvesting? And how long do they keep? Jenny, you grow a lot of uh, onions and garlics have you already mentioned so how do you get the best results out of storing it's quite important to dry them off after harvest so just a, a week in the greenhouse just so that all the outer petticoats kind of dry off and you can just pull off any loose bits and, and then you could if you're really artistic you could tie them into a French string of onions but I tend not to I actually put mine in um, in hanging baskets because you you want to be able to keep them away from any any rodents because I put them in my garage I put the onions in the garage 
do put the garlic in there as well. But really, old tights can be used as well. So any situation where you can actually keep them away from the ground, should there be any um, random rodents running around. In terms of how long they'll keep for, it actually depends when you've planted the onions and the garlic some varieties have different keeping times so some varieties are going to take you right through to the following year others need to be eaten literally after a, a couple of months so you need to check that when you buy your sets as to how long you would want them to last for i forgot this year to check whether they were storing or not there are what we call thick necks and thin necks and it is fairly obvious to see so as the bulbs particularly with the onions start to dry out in August the neck still when you rub your fingers around it feels thick and fleshy so it hasn't gone down as you would get them in the supermarkets where there's hardly anything left at the, the top where the stem joins the bulb itself and it's just obvious that those thicker necked ones they're just not going to make such dry bulbs where the natural protection of the papery layers is kind of joined all the way around to make that protective layer with the thick neck types where you can see that it's just not going to store they just need using quicker so those are the ones if you've got the two types use the thick necked as soon as you can and save the ones which are dried back for the winter months Viv Westbury from London's written in about her raspberries. I planted small new canes I bought from an online retailer. I have had little result this year. I fear I may not water them sufficiently. Should I just leave them over winter or do I need to cut them to encourage better growth next year? So yeah, it's not been a great year for establishing crops, but you know, in the first year, a lot of plants don't do well. They're just getting their roots down and they're growing their canes. So, you know, if you do get some fruit, it's lucky, but actually it's better that the plant focuses on establishment, really. I planted some autumn raspberry canes this spring and they haven't done a whole load either. Leave them alone for now. And then in February, just like you would for all autumn raspberries, um, established or otherwise, cut them right back down to the ground not leaving any stubs so no disease can get in right down to ground level and all your new shoots will come from ground level and hopefully next year you'll get a crop. Andrew Summers has written in my email, how do I grow the best tall scented sweet peas? I'd like some for a wedding next year and I'm unsure how to get the best results. Also, what would flower at the same time that might make nice cut flower arrangements that I could grow alongside? So Lee, what do you think about growing sweet peas? They're brave. I think the the one thing we know with sweet peas is they come early or later, depending on the season. So unless you're growing in a polytunnel, they could come anywhere from early May, or it could be as late as mid-June as well. So I'm just hoping that for a start, the wedding is later than that. And then it depends again on the weather. So if we get a fairly damp season, sweet peas do really well and carry on for quite a number of months. So you can expect sweet peas into August. If it's a drier season, they can start packing up in mid-July. So I think that the next thing is to go for some really good varieties. So I would go to a specialist sweet pea grower. If you want the really long stems, we're talking about really kind of show 
varieties that are Spencer varieties. So we're not necessarily talking the highly scented varieties like Cupiani and Machicana, which have become very popular because they naturally have very small stems. So for example, like the RHS flower shows, you'll see Eagle Nurseries up in the Midlands and they offer seed that have the longer stems and they do very pretty colours. So the bridal colours are still very much available in that form. Often in September, they'll start to sow the seeds. We used to think about soaking them, but now we just put them in the pots and water them well. Really, they don't need any bottom heat because the temperatures at this time of year are enough to get them germinating quite quickly. They would tend to then plant them into individual pots or ideally long pots or what they call root trainers. And we're going to grow those on over the, the winter into October. They'll be about two to four inches tall the shoots at that point pinch out the tops if you don't those will always produce spindly poor growth the side shoots are much much stronger so if you want the good blooms you need to encourage those side shoots by cutting out the tops then protect from little mice and other things over the winter that could nibble them away but keep them cool ideally in somewhere like a cold frame and then you're going to be planting out as early as possible, really. It depends on the, the part of the country. But if you can get them out in March, because they're pretty tough, uh, then they'll have longer to get their roots down and grow away. And then you're wanting to grow them up into a cordon. So you're selecting the strongest side shoot rather than the tallest, because sometimes the tallest can be a bit weedy. And you're pinching out all the others. And it's all about tying them in and keeping those other side shoots that appear short again so you're growing it up nice and tall and keeping it quite trim and up along um, a stake so the second part of this question about what would flower at the same time um, to make cut flower arrangements we're not quite sure when this wedding is if it's up until mid-july then you're going to need to start sowing quite early on in the season and giving things a bit of extra heat to really get them going. And that literally means February sowing in a propagator. Um, So you're going to be sowing most of these things at about 20 degrees. There are hardy annuals though as well. And these can be sown in the ground directly where you want to pick them from. You might look at Ami which is a relation of the um, cow parsley. Lovely, fluffy, see-through, goes beautifully with a whole range of things. Ami, that's A-double-M-I. Similar family, uh, the Umbellifer family, is Orlea. That's an autumn sowing one. Nigella and Larkspur, which is like little miniature delphiniums. Just a few things that, that I came up with which I think would look lovely. S. Seaton's written in from Tynon Weir. My gooseberries had been decimated. The leaves are ragged and there's barely any fruit. Might this be the dreaded sawfly? And if so, what can I do about it? Sounds like it could be the sawfly. Quite ferocious little things, aren't they? They certainly are ferocious. They seem to come a little bit later this season. I noticed there was a little damage and then thought well I must do something about that three days later hardly any leaves left I have to say at that point though the one side of the bush was less affected so I went in and started picking and squashing them and they are bright green not too dissimilar color from the leaf itself which is 
probably why we don't notice them when they initially start doing the damage. And often they're a bit more clung to the side of the leaf. But when you go in and start picking them off, often they start wriggling and twitching and falling. So then they do make themselves more easy, you know, so you can literally take them off with your fingers and thumbs. There are some sprays that you can use as well. It's one of those because it's next year, I'd rather say check back on the Gooseberry Sawfly page because we do get changes as different products are released each spring. But there are things that are classed as more organic and safe for use on pests and vegetables that can be applied to control them. But because they act so quickly, I do prefer squashing them. B Bramble from Boston, Lincolnshire. I have orange spots on the leaves of my pear tree. What is it and can I still eat the pears? Good news is yes, you can still eat the pears. This is a, a fungal problem which is called European pear rust and it does only affect the leaves. It's quite an interesting fungal problem which has become more of an issue over the past sort of 10 to 15 years. Uh, we're not really quite sure why. It's quite difficult to get rid of because it spends its summertime on the leaves of pear trees and then the pear tree drops its leaves and it spends its winters on juniper trees, which obviously they, they're a conifer, they keep their leaves throughout the season. And uh, so you may find the fungus as a kind of rather distorted mass in a juniper tree. And so this fungus needs both hosts in order to propagate itself. So really it's more of a cosmetic problem for the pear tree. Just pick the leaves up off the ground as they fall we probably wouldn't say pick them off the tree because actually there's still a lot of each leaf that can photosynthesize so it's best just to leave it alone and um, throw away the leaves at the end of the year probably not on the compost heap people panic and say oh, i've got no juniper in my garden where's the, the actual spores coming from the spores can travel up to a kilometer at a time so you don't need to rush around and, and actually rip down the junipers and panic it's it's just one of those things, and as long as your tree's nice and healthy, it can cope with the extra hosts over the summer. One of the most popular benefits of joining the RHS is that members can ask our expert team advice on any gardening problem for free throughout the year. You can phone, email, write or talk to us in person at our shows. As before... Links to the details of everything discussed in today's episode can be found at rhs.org.uk forward slash podcast. We'll be back in a fortnight with lots more horticultural happenings. If you can't wait that long, why not check out our brand new sister programme, The Garden Podcast, which is a behind-the-scenes look at the features in the UK's biggest gardening magazine. Links as ever from our podcast page. Until then... From me, Fiona Davison, goodbye. I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawn mower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilise the grass. 
and the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on, and I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step, and you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer, or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine and so much more. Terms and conditions apply. <laughs> 